putting up new buildings, we're knocking down the old. We're working in the summer heat and in the winter cold. And the labour power we sell, me boys, for a hard and weekly pay, produces mighty profits for the greedy MBA. And whether we were born here or born in Italy, in Greece, in Spain or Ireland, in England or Fiji, we all of us are workers united, we must stand until the wealthy bludgers have been driven from our... Welcome to Creatures of the Industry, an ongoing series of oral history interviews with the people who made the building and construction industry in Melbourne and regional Victoria since the 1960s. These podcasts are sponsored by the Concrete Gang in cooperation with Community Radio 3CR. And break a couple of concrete pours to back our log of claim. So keep your powder dry and hold your head up high. It's glass to glass and face to face, our limit is the sky. We've got a fighting history and we never will be cowed. And it's good morning from Creatures of the Industry and we're still in Perth and this morning we are talking to Alan Hughes and Alan's a chippy who has worked in this city since the 1970s and uh, before that in Wales. Welcome aboard Alan. Thank you. And uh, what we'll do is we'll just go back over your individual history, when you started, how you started, and of course, when you came to Perth. Okay. Um, I was born in 1948 in uh, a place called Bangor, North Wales. Uh, My grandfather, my father were both plasterers. Um, They... um, done the hard yards in the plastering industry all their lives. Um, my father then said to me, look, I'm not letting you be a plasterer. It's far too hard. Um, I'll get you the job as a carpenter, which I thought, well, that's just as hard anyway. But <laughs> that was the outcome. Um, my Both my uh, grandfather and my father were both staunch uh, union unionist, union members. They um, went through a lot of the hard times and the... 1930s and uh, the the building industry of course uh, was an un- in unforgiving place in them days um, the first day on the job when I started in a little workshop in Bangor the uh, delegate approached me and he says son you've got to be in the union if you want to work here so at 15 years of age uh, uh, I uh, joined the uh, amalgamated society of carpenters and joiners which was I suppose the appropriate uh, tr- Met a union for my trade at the time. Um, I had some good years in the uh, doing my apprenticeship, and I was uh, saying earlier on uh, before we started this uh, interview, in them days in the sixties, if the boss came round, the uh, the older guys they um, they would uh, doff their hats to the boss. Well, could you believe that? Of course, the sixties things were changing. That we had the Beatles, we had the Stones, and the younger generation we're going to put up with that anymore. Of course, I worked on many a sites in North Wales. Um, some large, by the way. I worked on a Rio Tinto smelter. I worked uh, 
on one particular ho- hospital job, and it was uh, for uh, Mr. Robert McAlpine, believe it or not. A gentleman well known in Australia for owning Vesties. Of course. The, uh, the meat uh, packing company who uh, exploited the Aboriginal brothers and sisters yeah. badly. So he wasn't exactly uh, short on uh, exploiting a few Welsh people either, I oh, suspect. He wasn't, uh, but he found it a bit difficult with the Welsh people because, of course, the, uh, the majority of the, the, the uh, construction workers in North Wales, they, uh, they were very, very fluent in Welsh. They never used uh, English as a medium in the construction industry. In fact, my apprenticeship was done in the Welsh language, not the, not the English language. Uh, so any English carpenter or construction worker that came to North Wales uh, found it a bit difficult language-wise, but I suppose we all helped each other out. But the, uh, the one thing I can really put my finger on and remember vividly was when we had any problems, uh, the organiser had to come down from Liverpool and uh, being English, of course, he had no idea what we, he faced. And I think after time, they used to dread coming to North Wales to sort a dispute out. Did they have to bring an interpreter with them? They did. Well, <laughs> some of the some of the uh, f- f- uh, the the fine tuning of the union meetings used to have to be translated to some of the older carpenters because their their uh, understanding of English could be uh, very confusing, if you if you like to say, but. Um, but everybody stood together. That was the yeah. one thing. Uh, we had um, the award was was sacrosanct, I suppose, in in them times. And you never got ripped off by any builder. If your award said you got this, you got that. That was always paid, which always I can always reflect back on that. Um, uh, we we used to have things like on the larger jobs. By the way, they used to have a bonus system. Uh, it was like, I suppose, the equivalent of our site allowance here. Mm-hmm. You had a guarantee of, uh, I think it was three shillings an hour on top of the rate, regardless of what you'd done it, for turning up. That was your spot bonus. Um, if you wanted to earn more, it wasn't dog-eat-dog, dog, and some guys got given all the, the meterage by the boss. It worked out that the, the whole uh, production uh for the, the, the week was shared equally between the carpenters on, on the site. So therefore there was fairness that the older carpenters got given uh, the, the jobs that were easy for them to do, putting a lock in, some remedial work, a lot of the snagging was done by the, the older carpenters nearing their retirement. The younger carpenters, like myself at the time, were given the harder work of of putting the meterage in to get the the extra bonus that was required uh, to build your wages up. Mm. Uh, looking back on it now, there was never any uh, dog eat dog situation. But there was a bonus on top of a bonus. Uh, the bonus on top of a bonus, we called it. But um, and that went, you know, that that was the that was the rules in them days, I suppose. Yeah. So the the foreman measured the meterage at the end of the week. He did with with the delegates. With the delegates. So that was a f- the delegate went round with the, the the foreman, or what we called in M days the quantity surveyor, oh. and uh, they measured up the meterage. You could cheat a bit, of course, on some things, but generally that's how it worked. Yeah. And as the as the job progressed, uh, the one particular time on the job, the job got uh, behind time. 
and uh, they introduced a, a group of subbies from Liverpool in these villas that were away from the rest of us. Uh, and, of course, we were out then out the gate for a week until we got rid of them. So that was a successful campaign we had. I always remember you know, as a Liverpool supporter, I'm I'm finding this a little bit difficult. Well, he, they, <laughs> they might have been Everton supporters. True, true. A good re- rejoiner. <laughs> you rejoin that, can you? And you know, it's it's funny because I always remember that time there was the 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 foreman. Sorry, the yeah, it would have been the foreman on the job. He told the uh, the the uh, the the. Uh, the second delegate, there was two delegates, that while we're on strike, that um, uh, he hoped his family starved. I always remember that saying. And uh, and that was, you know, that wasn't a good thing to say because after that, the foreman used to have to have a bodyguard when he walked around the job. Oh, I'd always remember that. And it, that was quite true because, um, anyway, uh, I won't go any further and say what happened to the foreman anyway, but uh, that was the... Uh, oh, you could answer one question, though. Was he English or was he Welsh? He was English. Well, there you go. A thousand years of oppression didn't change. It did didn't it? change. <laughs> All apologies. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I, I done my apprenticeship. I, I felt a bit brave in uh, 1971. I'd done something quite unusual, uh, which was uh, not the thing people in North Wales would have done or generally done in them days. I, I put my toolbox on a, a British Airways flight from Liverpool to the Channel Islands. And that's where, as we were talking before the uh, actual interview, that's basically what uh, my father's family did. Did, exactly. They went, they went from the from Wales to the west of England to the Channel Islands. And they just got here 100 years earlier, that's all, <laughs> after the gold rush. I, I spe- so what was that? Could I just, on a personal level, what was working on the Channel Islands like in the early 70s? What what was the work? Uh, there was no form work as such. It no. was all fixing work. Fixing work, yeah. Houses, uh, uh, hotels, um, and uh, there was plenty of work around. And, of course, being a tax... Oh, a tax-free yes. island. There was no tax taken out of your wages. You you had an insurance stamp that covered your your medical expenses if you were unfortunate enough to go into hospital. But um, so the wage you got paid was in your you could say in your hand, yeah. uh, and it was a good wage in the Channel Islands. It was slightly higher than the UK uh, for young people. The the alcohol was half price and the cigarettes were half price. Now we're now we're finding out yeah. uh, some of the motivation in the in the journey, eh? Well, that wasn't what my motivation, particularly for me. But what, but what it, for a few. <laughs> so what it really did was it um, it gave us the opportunity for once in my life to save some money. So what we used to do was work in Jersey in the summer yeah. and. Uh, head down to the Canary Islands in Spain in the winter for three months on the beach and, you know, relax, and then we'd go back. Mm. And they'd done that a few times. Anyway, I mean, uh, the uh, 4th of December 1974, uh, we, me and my friend was a captain at the same time. We got a flight to Perth, and uh, we arrived on the 5th of December 1974. That was the bait having a visa because if you came after uh, 75, mm. uh, Gough Whitlam had just introduced you needed a visa to come in yeah. with, with a, a British passport. So we avoided that and we paid our own fare. 
Um, the first place I went was Beaufort Street to join the the, the union, and uh, within a week, the org- the or- the organizer at the time, I think his name was Danny Edwards, he got us a job on a a what site in the city, and uh, I was amazed to find that on that site there was such a mixture of uh, nationalities. There was a carpenter next to me, Italian. There was a Greek guy on the other side of the, the site. And, you know, that was my first experience. The other shock to me was I'd never used electric power tools. Everything in the UK was hand-driven. And the guy asked me, have you, have you seen the buzzer? That was, that was a scratch-the-head job because I never knew what a buzzer was. But, of course, it's an electric plane, of course. And then a few hours later, was a, someone was looking for a, a shifter. What the hell's a shifter? Well, of course, it's an adjustable spanner to the ponds, but anyway. Um, and I, I, we spent a few months here in Perth, then ended up in Townsville on a bridge for a company called Pearson Bridge. How do you find Queensland? I mean, Perth is pretty dry. It's hot, but it's dry. But you're getting to the tropics. Um, how do you go with the humidity? Well, for people coming from Europe, yes, it is hot, and the humidity. And... Uh, it was tough, yeah. uh, but it got even worse than that because we drove across the top of Australia oh. after after the V. Because you, people tend to forget that after Cyclone Tracy uh, in oh, December, yes. you couldn't. They didn't open Darwin up until uh, early June, uh, simply because you had to have a visa to go to Darwin. Yep. Darwin was shut off by air. Uh, th- there was a roadblock in Catherine. And after the 1st of June, I think around early June, uh, they lifted the barriers and they were screaming for construction workers. So that's where we ended up uh, in the real humidity. Oh, and you would have been suffering. Uh, well, June's not bad, but October's pretty yeah. pretty, yeah. pretty rough. Um, yeah, so I really enjoyed my time. I mean, uh, we learned how to build tropical houses, yep. which uh, you, you do in Queensland, I suppose, and that's a new thing for uh, someone coming from Europe. Um I'll, I'll skip a bit because I spent uh, numerous years of my life living in Southeast Asia. Yep. I lived in the Philippines a while and I've been right, right through Indonesia and uh, Borneo. But anyway, we came back to Perth. Uh, I suppose there was a change coming. I got back to Perth in 78. Um, I think the union at the time, the, uh, the BWIU, were in a process of change. Uh, the... the, uh, the the membership was looking for change. I could see uh, the officials, it was a bit old and tired. Mm. We had young officials uh, who came on as organisers, Rick Todd, Frank O'Grady, yep. a few others, uh, and there was a mood for change. Um, I ended up uh, working in the bush a couple of times. We had organisers that came down to see us. There was militancy growing, you could feel that in the air. Um, I managed to get a job on a, a bridge that Frank O'Grady and, of course, Rick would speak highly of. It was called the Bridge Too Far. Um, and, you know, I laugh when I look back on them days, but it, normally to build a bridge you need about eight carpenters uh, with a support staff of, you know, riggers and labourers, of course. But, but uh, it ended up we ended up with 16 carpenters on that bridge in the end. We even had an interchange bench built in the middle of the bridge so when someone got <laughs> tired they could shove them in the interchange bench but but one significant thing that happened from that bridge was around christmas time the boss decided 
um, that he'd get rid of some people to save paying the, uh, yeah. the, the holiday pay. And he sacked three carpenters. One was he was too old. One was because he was no good. And the other guy, because he'd worked for the company before and he didn't mind getting sacked. <laughs> anyway, um, th th that started a, a dispute that went on for a while. Too, and we, we decided we'd go for, uh, for a site allowance on the job. Now, that took three months of bans. It was hard because it was a government job. It had to go through the commission to a, award a site allowance. And uh, eventually, the boss, stood, the, the builder stood up in the commission and he says, wow, these guys deserve a site allowance. They're the best, best bunch of workers I've ever had. And the, the, the commissioner says, well, uh, after what you've said there, I think you're pretty much right, because there's a lot of skill building a bridge. And uh, I'll award a site allowance of a dollar an hour. But what, what made the, the builder fall on his feet was the commissioner says, yeah, I'm backdated to the start of the job. <laughs> they had to carry him out. And, and look, and I'll say this, that was the first job in Australia ever that got a site allowance, I believe, on a bridge. Yeah. And... Uh, Anyway, things went from there. Is I, the bridge still standing? It's still standing. I, I drove Danny Garner over that bridge once, and he thought it was like for, 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 um, for, for push bikes. It's a small bridge. <laughs> it's, it's not the Westgate Bridge by no, any sort. No, no, no. He, he would have had uh, a little bit of trouble trying to get his head around the fact there was a side allowance made oh, on a bridge that small. Of course, that's when the, that's when the movie was on, when he yes. was doing the bridge too far. Yes, yes, the, a battle that, in the First World War. Oh, but anyway, um, I went through... Not Second World War. I went through the years in the industry. Eventually, I became a delegate on a, a Costain job. Uh, when Costain still existed. When it existed, yeah, that was 30... To, 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 uh, I, I can tell the, the times in the industry by my kid's age. Yeah. Uh, and I've just gone with my daughter's age now. She's 32. Yeah, it would have been 36 years ago. I got, yep. got a job as a... I, I got the delegate's position, and I, I put my heart into it. I, I got looked after by uh, Frank then to go on to a, another job. Uh, and then I, I was fortunate enough to go as a convener on what Bond's Tower, the oh, R&I right. Tower. Uh, it was towards the end of the job, as there had been a previous delegate that left, and I, that was a multiplex site, so I was a full-time delegate uh, for about 12 months of that contract. And I, I really put the effort in it because simply because it was the time when we had the fixing going on. Very unusual to have a job where they were fixing out 38 floors of a, a, a multi-storey building. because the Bond Towers, 53 storeys. Uh, we had some good blues on there. Uh, we um, even uh, had Bondi, I think, supply some uh, reading material for the kids in uh, Santiago in Chile. Uh, because Bond at that time had, sh had a shares in a telecommunication company and I think a copper mine. Oh, um, he had shares in everything. He probably did. <laughs> yeah. Including the Chilean government. But anyway. He did. And then uh, I, I spent time on that job and numerous other delegates. I got approached in, uh, was, it, was it 92? It'd be, I've retired 10 years now. I was with CBUS 20 years. So I got approached 30 years ago. Yeah. Uh, would I be interested in, you know, put my name down for the, the CBUS position? We'd had two CBUS coordinators here. 
uh, and they'd done the job uh, which was appropriate for the times. They they were tough on compliance. They uh, they they done what the industry expected at that time, but they never went out on the job. In fact, the two of them they wore suits and they had a tie on. They wore ties, and and that's the role they played. Anyway, um, I, I I got I got the position, and uh, I was put under the command, if you like, of Mavis Robertson. And, the redoubtable uh, Mavis Robertson. The hardest lady I've ever worked for. And uh, I look back with, pra- you know, well, I look back at Mavis and I think, jeez, even union officials used to cringe and walk away when she came in the room. A very, very tough woman. Yep. And, and she'd done some hard times. Yep. She was in the Australian Communist Party when she was, you know, when it wasn't a good place to be a long time yep. ago. Yep. She went through them days, and uh, I mean, I have a lot of respect for Mavis, right. and uh, she was my, uh, I would never call her a boss, she was my comrade, if you like, for the years that she was with CBUS, yep. and she put a lot of effort into it. So we owe a lot to Mavis in the sense that building workers who have retired today and retired with dignity yes. owed a, owe a lot to Mavis Robertson. And uh, we had a small team in CBUS then. We only had about nine coordinators. Uh, I think it was Chris Phillips and Danny Gardner in Melbourne. Uh, and it was myself here, of course. And uh, we got out on the job. And, you know, look, it was like being gifted with a job that you would think you were born to do. I, I think I used to start my car in the morning. I wondered, uh, and, and don't laugh at this, but I say this from the heart. When I started the car in the morning... I used to think, how many people can I help today? Mm. I, and that's what the job should have been about. It's not much how much money I can make today. Or what I'm it, we were out there, all them coordinators at the time, to go out and help people. And we helped with death, disability, and you know some of the saddest things we had to deal with. I, I look back and I dealt with 23 suicides. And uh, them suicides were tragic. And we weren't people who went to the funeral and and bid a comrade goodbye. The coordinator then started his job helping the family out to sort the the uh, what was left with his CBUS entitlements. And also, if you don't mind me interjecting, all the complications that go with people that die without a will, yes. people who have fractured families and all the counterclaims and issues that follow from that and... Uh, it is not something that people would volunteer from if uh, for if they actually understood what it's like. It's like yes. Well, look, we we didn't have any, uh, if you like, we didn't have any training to to uh, tell us how to handle them situations. Yeah. And can uh, I, Alan, can I put it to you? You did because you'd worked in the building industry. Of course. Yeah. And. In the building industry, all those things used to be quite normal. Burying somebody, helping sort out their money and all the rest of it was happening all the time with not just people who suicided but also people who died on jobs, who got injured on jobs. You were actually probably in a fairly unique position to take on that sort of role, if you don't mind me saying so. It's just something that came with the gig. Yeah, well, well, thank you for that. It's probably... It was our training on the hard, the hard yards we'd done in the industry. Yes. The people we'd met uh, would help us along. You can't put a, a person that's 
in a, worked in a bank all his life and put him as a coordinator for CBUS. He might mm. have the figures in his head that can help people out with their retirements, but he'll never have the compassion and the, the knowledge that it takes to be part of the building industry. And, uh, yeah, I look back on them days. I mean, I, I went to one house one day and, uh, you know, the guy has hung himself in the garage yeah. and his kids cut him down. Yes. And there I am in the house and the, the kids and the family are there. There was, there was times where you had to help people out where English wasn't the first language. That was difficult. Uh, but look, that's what we were there for. And that's what we got paid for. We didn't want any praise for that. It was part of normal, yeah. the normal uh, job that we had. Um, so my ears with Sabus were, were so good. If I look back now, um, some of the times I do miss, we also we got out to the northwest and we went to the meetings in Caratha. And there were stormy meetings. I mean, I used to ask uh, the organisers like Phil Kennedy and uh, Brad Upton, could I go on first? Because it was in a place called the Rec Club. And by the time the meeting started, they were into the third pint. And, uh, you know, I always remember facing up there and Seabus had just lost 12%. And uh, I could look around the room and I could see it was full. Uh, the, the beer had already got into the skin. And... Uh, I got on first, and I, I'll never forget it. I'm not sure if Danny Garner was up there with me at the time, but Danny paid a visit to the Northwest, and I got up in front and I said, look, lads, do you want to hear the, do you want to hear the bad news? And I said, we've just lost 12%. And a bloke in the front got up, he says, shit, Alan. He says, that was a good result, <laughs> because the others had lost, the, the others like Australian Super had lost yeah. 17, if I yeah. recall. Yeah. And I said, anything else? No. Oh, we'll move on to death and disability then. We'll carry the meeting on. But I always, always remember that, that, that the feeling of the room of I'm going to get killed here. But, yeah. uh, but people understood it. You know, yeah. th that's what we're about. Right, and, uh, always give them the bad news first and then the good news. Yeah. It just calms them down. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would have been bad news. I mean, you could have been yeah. hung up there. But no, I always remember the Northwest with uh, a, a great deal of... Uh, uh, of Memories that I spent up there with remote construction workers yeah. who, who were quite shocked to see that someone with CBUS would turn up uh, in Carath at Port Hedland, 2,000, 3,000 kilometres away from, we don't call it civil, like, you know, from, from a city and spend the nights on the camp with them. Yep. You know, we used, to, we used to have camps up there when Gorgon, when... Uh, uh, Pluto was getting built and uh, some of the other big jobs where you'd have 2,000 construction workers living on a camp. And uh, I took Danny when he was when he seen that, he was quite amazed because we didn't have it anywhere else at yeah. that particular yeah. time. And the heat when we used to go up there. I mean, I was up in Port Hedland one day and it was like 48 in the shade. Yeah. And, uh, and this was before FIFO. Well, FIFA was start was just yeah. coming. Yeah, it was yeah. starting. But people went up there for a long term construction contract. Uh, but nowadays, of course, people are flying in, flying out. They're doing maintenance. They're doing mining. It's of not, course, it's a little bit different. But the isolation doesn't change, does it? It doesn't. And away from the families, they used to do four and one. Uh, it used to be six and one years ago, by the way, in the 80s. It was four and one. Now it's got down to three and one, two and one. Yeah. It, it's, and, you know, the camps, have, you've got everything you need. You've got swimming pool. You've got, you've got everything. Life's luxuries, in, in fact. You can compare them with Club Med in the tropics. 
Oh, but, true, but but they're not. They they're definitely there's not. Still, there's still issues that are coming back to Metro Perth. Of course. I mean, you can you can go to the Tullamarine in Melbourne and uh, see all the people flying out. Uh, they're flown in from Albury. They've come in from you know the Latrobe Valley, uh, yes. Bendigo, or whatever. They're at Tullamarine. They're flying to Perth and they're flying to Caratha. Yeah, and, it, and it's it's a lot of stress. It is particularly on family. My son worked up there uh, with Leightons, with Thies, and doing. Uh, he was fortunate enough to do three and one, but mm. his family were in Perth. I could see the yeah. stress that we're going through. Yeah. Um, w- one thing I reflect on, and um, I, I still feel proud I'd done it, was on the camps at night where you had, you know, three thousand, sorry, two and a half thousand at the most Seabus members could have been on them camps. It was a big. It was a concentration of two and a half thousand CBUS members in one place, yep. in a remote place. And for me to put my table out outside the mess room when they come in for their evening meal and to see people come to the table and ask me a question or take something away uh, and to think, well, they were so happy to see some from CBUS come and see them in that remote area to take the time to do it. And I look back on that and I think, well, I'm glad I ever done that. And well, the thing is, you can do all that stuff online nowadays, but... It's not the same. It's not the same. People yeah. still want you to front up, whether you're a union delegate, union organiser, CBUS coordinator, they want the face-to-face contact. And they should have it. Yeah, well, th- exactly, and that's what it should be. I'll, I'll, I'll say something funny now, you know, about how, how people used to... Re- or still do you know, have a that feeling that that's a CBUS, that's my CBUS coordinator. I was on a cruise once a few years ago while I was still with CBUS, and I seen this guy behind me. There was a someone with, maybe the captain was giving a speech or whatever he was doing. There was a guy behind me, and he he looked like one of our punters. He looked like a construction worker. He he put it this way: he, he didn't look like a yuppie, and he and he stood behind me and he's uh, he's eyeing me up and he. And he, and he says to his wife, see, that man there, he's my CBUS man. There you go. You know, and, and, and I felt really yeah, good. And yeah. Cameron says, who's that bloke? And I said, I don't know. Oh, yes. <laughs> because people knew, yeah. they knew yeah. Danny Garner, they knew Lisa Sonata, they knew these people. Yeah, and yes. right. they, were, they were part of the people who were going to help them out. But, um, yeah. So if I look back on them years, the 20 years I spent with CBUS, uh, they were the best years of my life. Yep. And you know me, and I knew every delegate because I used to go around and uh, around yes. every job, uh, and we were good with uh, we were so so good with compliance, compliance. If you know you didn't pay by the fourteenth of the month, yes. uh, build as well. You were off the job, and, and guys didn't lose their money. We followed that through, and and so I think CBUS today still chase up. No other fund in the country does it arrears. No. Unfortunately, there are so many people who are chasing their uh, money after the event, exactly. Instead of while they're working, it's just it is an it's basically a license to steal from people. The fact that it's not enforced, but we enforce it in the construction industry, and hallelujah, because I'd hate to think what it'd be like if it wasn't. Given the you know the mobility of workers and and the ability of uh, Contractors to disappear off the face of the earth and uh, avoid any legal liability. 
Well, of course, and you know, there's many a time, uh, as you can imagine, we've we've been on jobs where the builders bol- bolted, oh, yeah. and he's left the guys in the sh- you know the guys are in the shed, and maybe the main contractors taken over their their wages, but then we're arguing about the super. Yeah. And we're talking to the guys in the shed, and of course the the boss is nowhere to be seen, and that that's another responsibility that Seabus takes on. Is actually chasing the money that's owed, and, yep. and I think you know, in most cases, looking back, reflecting on it, we've done really well. Yep. I mean, some things we have lost. I mean, yep. it was no way we were going to get the uh, the entitlements that were supposed to come through, but uh, we've tried our best, and that's yep. what. I... Well, the thing is that if you're a major contractor, you bring in a subby, and you're not checking up on him to make sure he's paying his. Super, his redundancy, his wages. Well, you can't subcontract out the responsibility as far as building workers are concerned because you brought him on. You took the risk. You want to make the profit? Take take the risk and (coughs) you pay it when it goes wrong. Exactly. Now, um, if I move forward to the present time, I've, um, I've been retired happily 10 years now. But I really do... Um, I don't think you can be a true a unionist and gone through the years we have been and walk away uh, from the union and retire. It, it can't, in my, I can't do that. I mean, uh, I still attend the monthly meetings. I uh, still catch up with building workers in the week for, for uh, a bit of uh, nostalgia, if you like. Yep. And uh, I'll have a beer or two maybe then, but... Uh, I, uh, I look after my health, of course, these days, which I've got to because I'm 74. But I, um, I have a great respect here for the job that Mick's doing under really tough conditions. Yep. We've been through some really tough years, and uh, I look and I think what the organisers have had to go through, which I didn't have to go through. Uh, you could walk on the job, no problem. You know, the job was a free, it was free for you to go there. And things even like Phil is doing now with Cebus and Don here, it's a lot more difficult than in my time. But they're getting out there and they're doing it. And uh, I think, you know, um, the the thing we lack these days, I think, is the fact that we've got to to make the effort with the younger generation. Uh, There's a big gap there. They've they've not seen what we've seen. If you told them the stories about, well, if it's raining... Well, we used to go home after half an hour if you were any good. Yep. We could get the guys away after, you know, two hours at the, at the latest. And the things we'd done. Do you remember the days where you went through the job and you wouldn't... Uh, I used to, if I was a delegate, and if I knew the company were going to do the right thing, I always used to say, look, get yourself a grindstone mm. and put it in the shed. Because I'm not going to hit you with a grindstone allowance at the end of the job. Uh, because it's about $3. I don't know what it is now, if it's still in the award. It's still in the award. Yeah. Well, so, so, so for some uh, subbies on the job, if they, they played up towards the end, you'd, that was your, your punishment. You'd say, look, you haven't got a grindstone. I want the grindstone allowance for all the the people, you know, the, the tradesmen who are entitled to it. And that used to mount up for some yes. some jobs. It was a trick we had. And, with, uh, straight with me, I'm straight with you. Yeah. Stuff me around, I'll stuff you around yeah. worse. Do it, yep. do it right. And there was, there was. Well, let's admit, there was some uh, companies done the right thing. Uh, there was, there was some shockers out there too that uh, shouldn't have been in the industry. Well, can I put it to you that 
at the end of your time in the industry as a percentage of companies you dealt with, I would think that the majority of them had very few problems. The majority of the members, the majority of people in members of CBUS, would not have had to have rung up and complained. But the minority that did have problems, who did the wrong thing, who had to follow up their CBUS accounts and all the rest of it, it wasn't just one time, was it? It no. was numerous times. The, the bad were really bad. bad. But the majority, I mean, I just my experience is that you go around, you put the agreement in place, you vote it up, you get on with life, you do the job, you have a bit of a problem here, you sort it out. But there's no disasters for the vast majority. But you never hear from them from year to year no. in terms of a problem. No. But the ones you hear from, they're always big problems. And the problem is when they do go belly up, they resurrect themselves. Oh yes. Under the same yes. The same rules they've always they've always worked to, so they're never going to change. No, and the and the laws of the country allow them to happen. Look, look if you reflect back to and you think of uh, the 90s, for instance, um, where there was industrial problems, in the sense that we we wanted everything. We, we needed everything to be how we wanted it. Mm. And, and we strive to do that. And uh, they were, for organisers in them days uh, and delegates, the, the companies you've just mentioned, they weren't hard to police. Mm. Now, um, what was unique about them days were that we had the award system, we had the, the rates of pay were universal. Yes. Uh, there was there was uh, wet time. There was all the things we were used to: yep. holiday pay, sea bus redundancy, long service. The only difference on the sites were the difference in the site allowance. It was if you were lucky enough to be with the majors, like your multiplexes, you were maybe on. Uh, let's go back to the eighties. You were at a dollar sixty an hour with a structural frame allowance. Yep. You wouldn't even know what that is today. And, and that was all purpose. Remember yes, all purpose? Yes, oh. it, it doubled up on you over time. I mean, you're trying to explain that to the anyway, you had all purpose. Now, the site allowance on the big jobs, it was what it was. Now, if you were with a minor builder, you might be lucky to get 50 a dollar. Yeah. So the only difference, of course, was the rates. Yeah. And uh, But once you threw that away, it was dog eat dog. Yes. Uh, it, didn't exist anymore. Uh, that's when the problem started. It started going to all up rates, yes. and uh, you know, uh, and it deteriorated from there. And there were so many subbies on the job that there weren't real subbies. Yes. You know, there were employees uh, dressed as something else. So, yeah, there were hard, there were there were changes, and let's hope uh, that this new environment we can get a lot of the old, the old times back. They won't come back as we had it, but uh, to um, to have some kind of in, uh, uh, some input to into getting younger people to come along, to come along with us. But just to go back to 
earlier in the conversation, we were in a little bit of a discussion there about building workers, whether in North Wales, Perth, Melbourne, are not fundamentally different. They're not. The industry doesn't fundamentally change. So maybe going back isn't really going back at all. It is just reasserting the basics that have always, always been, been there. Always been there, exactly. And, uh, and what's wrong with that? Well, there's, no, no, there's nothing wrong. It's getting more debate in the smoke shed too. Uh, yes, I, I think that's a really good point that you and a number of people have made about uh, the learning process. If you got your head down looking at uh, some bullshit on Google, instead of participating in a meeting, you're going to learn too much and you're not going to do yourself a favour. You're not. Because you're not part of the collective. If you, um, you know, towards the end of my time with Seabus, they used to look at the shed and you could see there would be a couple of older guys in the corner reading the West Australian, mm. having a chat, and all the young lads would be outside texting. Yeah. And I thought, God, this is sad. What yes. can you do with this? And uh, it was, uh, you know, it's a, hard, it's a hard thing to put something in their heads unless um, they're going to sit back in that smoker shed and listen to the old guys again. But I think that's a, that's a big ask. Which, to some extent, is why you're here today, Alan. Because Creatures of the Industry is, in fact, a discussion between old blokes, you and me, you're only two years older than me, and this is actually partly at the request of younger people uh, who have said, we need to know stuff, because we're suddenly now no longer 20 years old, we're 28, we're 30, we're 31, and hang on, what do we actually know about the industry? And I'm very uh, happy that I went to a uh, rank-and-file meeting here last night and uh, young people were actually, younger people were actually wanting to know, know stuff and do something about it. So maybe it ain't that bad. The fundamentals are there. There's been a bit of dislocation, but people actually get on with it. The, uh, the industry is obviously changing uh, in the sense that there's more t modern technology being used. There's less people needed. I mean, if you looked at the old uh, ways of building where you had uh, um, the formwork was so different to today. Mm. It was so hard. You know, you had table forms. That, all that's gone now. It's all modern stuff. Uh, the slip forms are different. Uh, they're not jacked up like they were. Um, years ago, they, they're crane lifted now. It used to be self-lifting. Yes. Uh, things have changed tremendously. But what really hasn't changed, there's still construction workers building them sites. Yes. There's still guys like you and me mm. yes. who uh, go home every night to meet their families. They want a day's pay. They want to be looked after. They want de decent conditions. They want to be treated right. And uh, they, that's, that's what we've got to work on. With a new generation, the, uh, the, the building... Work is different, yeah. but our mentality should be the same. Hence, technological change has meant that uh, a 20-storey building now is built in half the time with less than half the labour. Yes. But in Victoria, if the boss is getting a benefit, we want to share 36 hours, nine-day fortnight, 
What's that about? It's not just about having a decent life. It's also having a share of the profit margin exactly. because we're creating it. And I don't think people quite put it in that context anymore. Superannuation, it's exactly the same. It is. It is you getting your share of the productivity that you are creating. And, you know, um, for a young person today that looks at his CBUS account and he thinks, wow, that's good. He'd want to get his hands on it straight away, yeah. as young people would. But it is a retirement benefit. We should never, never forget that. But looking back, they should think, well, how did this start? How did it start? How did the long service start? You know, how did your redundancy start? And it was started by guys getting out there and, and saying, look, look we're going go, to go on strike. But can the young people today afford to go on strike? Yes. The level of debt is yeah. phenomenal. And, and, you, and you can't be too judgmental about people no. who are making an effort to have a life. I mean, whether there's, uh, whether there's a life after death or not is not the issue. While you're here, you've got to deal with what you've got to deal with. But collectivism, looking to the future, is definitely got to be top of the learning process because... Power of one is not that no, much. No, maybe we can. Uh, I don't know what happens in Victoria, but certainly we had a scheme here of um, an apprentice scheme yeah. that the CFMEU started off. It's it's not anymore, of course, but uh, that was a good uh, exercise in getting uh, young young construction workers from disadvantaged families a job, not to make them. Uh, carpenters or brickies or tradespeople, that would be supervisors for the MBA in the future. Yeah. They were, they were underprivileged kids. They were, in them days, Vietnamese families who just arrived. We were looking, you know, trying to help their, their families out. Um, and that gave them a training too, because it was the union that directly ran that scheme. Uh, maybe we can uh, look more into stuff like that in the future. Well, we certainly have got a lot of work going on in Melbourne. I notice as I've moved around Perth a bit, uh, there's a lot of vacant sites. <coughs> the work is not as much as I would have thought it would have been, but boom and bust has been the history of Perth. Of course. Uh, of course. But I just want to reflect on you know, going to the northwest. When things weren't that busy in Perth, Gorgon and Pluto when those jobs were going, you had an option. That option, that construction option uh, is not so prevalent these days. Would that be right? Well, it's a bit quieter up the northwest yeah. at the moment. Uh, we have, I think, stage two, is it, a Pluto mm. due to start up. Yeah. Um, I think I, I um, set myself a target of at least going up the northwest two or three times per year, mm. doesn't matter how busy it was. Yeah. Because you still had regular crane companies up there yep. that were still working. Uh, it didn't mean I wouldn't be going on the camps. Mm. I'd still go to the CFMEU monthly meetings yep. uh, in Karatha on a, at least three times per year. And, uh, and I think uh, with the, the Pluto starting up again shortly, there'll be, the camp has been built presently and I'm sure Phil and Don will be up there regularly when it when it does start 
uh, because it is, as you said, it's boom and bust. But you could play off uh, Perth against the North West and go okay. It's tightened up and uh, that has pushed the rates down uh, oh, of course. for a lot of people and the amount of work too. But the industry is the industry and uh, the beast bites you back every now and then. Of course it does. I mean, uh, there's nothing, uh, I suppose, uh, more important to building workers especially if we go back again to what was happening in the smoke shed, was where's the next job? Who's going to be the delegate on that job? When's it starting? How much is the site allowance? You know, yeah. uh, and if you knew there was uh, a decent builder, there could be a decent delegate, you'd go high in heaven to get on that job. Yeah. Uh, that's the way the building industry works. There's no... I, I suppose we're all homeless men that work from... you know. One, one job to the other, and that's the way we've always been. Yeah, the travelling. Yeah. You've travelled uh, in Europe. I think it was not, probably no different from uh, Australia. No. You followed the job. In fact, in the award, there was an allowance called follow the job. The job, exactly. And they gave you something in the hourly rate, Eight. which was for following the job, job. i.e., a redundancy payment between jobs, jobs because you followed the job. And I can think in my own family, uh, my grandfather, he followed the job. Only mistake he made was signing up for the First World War and he followed the wrong job. But anyway, <laughs> but, but he followed the job around Victoria and uh, that still occurs. You followed the job to Australia. Well... If I look back now and reflecting, as I close, I suppose, and look at the my life and what I've been through, I'm always uh, so fortunate enough to think I've had some great years in this industry. Yeah. I've met some great people, some yeah. good mates, lifelong mates, and we've lost some people on the way as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not uh, unusual now for me to go to a couple of funerals every month and the good people that passed yes. away. Yes. And, you know, you look at them with pride and you think, shit, they were good lads. I wish they were around today. And uh, like, like in Perth here now, we have, the, uh, we have a dinner, lunch every year for the retired members. And I think um, people reflect on that and they look around the room and they say, shit, I wish these blokes were in their 20s again. Yeah, well... Wish they'd come back, but that, that's... Yeah. Time, time has gone and time has passed us by. It's now, uh, it's their time now. We've had, we've, we've had our time in the industry. We've brought it to what it is and let's hope uh, the younger people take up that baton and take it where it should be again. Um, well, I remember one lesson that I learned early on. You ain't got a right to give away what other people won for you. And that was a message that was absolutely pounded into you. You've inherited something, don't give it away because you never earned it. Exactly. And that is a very difficult concept to pass on to succeeding generations till they experience it themselves. Well, um, And when the beast bites back, that's when, unfortunately, it's a very hard way to learn, but it, it is a lesson that will be learnt. The other thing I find... Um, <clears throat> disappointing 
And particularly if you look at the northwest, where you're on top dollar. Yeah. There's no question about that. It'll be probably the highest wages in the world mm. for construction workers. You know, taking home nearly three grand a week, or sometimes more. Mm. Uh, and you look at guys uh, who don't join the union. Yes. And I think to myself, you know, it, it, it's so annoying. But then I say to them, look, you, you can't be a freeloader. Mm. You can't. Would you stand in the pub and let your mates buy your drinks all night? And you don't buy around. I mean, do you see anything wrong in there? Oh no, 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 that's different. Well, it's not. You, you look at the look at the money you're getting here, my mate. Look, where did you get it? Did the boss give it to you? I mean, the union got you that money. You surely can contribute to it. And I find that so infuriating. I find it. Gosh, you want to? I want to scream on that, but. Well, it's even more infuriating when they get themselves in the trouble and they want to sneak in the back door and get a Join freebie. Join yeah, of course, yeah. of course. Yeah. But old men can get a little bit grumpy about these things. Let's be positive. Let's look up. What do you reckon were the best things that you've experienced in the industry, not just here but obviously in Wales too, but what are the best things that, you, that come straight to the front of your mind not just, you know, disputes and that, but something that you reckon was memorable and you just always come back to it. Well, there's a, there's a lot of um, things I can look back on, but if I can reflect on one thing that I've loved about the industry is the camaraderie. Yes. Is, is guys standing up to, with each other to get what we deserve. Hmm. I, I've, I always look at building workers and say, well, I'm a building worker. Hmm. I'm proud of that. Um, I, I always remember one thing I, I can that sticks in my mind. I was in Melbourne one morning. It was a cold winter morning, and uh, I was with Seabus there for a couple of days conference. I got up early as you do, and I was walking around Melbourne about probably six o'clock in the morning in the winter. Could have been in bed, but I was I felt I'd go for a walk, and it was all the construction workers going to work in Melbourne that early in the dark. Yep. With their with their BLF or their their union badges on, yep. literally hundreds of them heading yes. heading to work, and I thought, wow, this is that, that's a pumped up, yep. a pumped up moment. I really really thought that was something I never forget. Um, you've asked me what, what is there's one particular thing that I can reflect back on. No, I, I reflect on the the reason uh, the, the reason I'm so proud of is. I've got through the years I've worked in the industry. I've survived it. Yes. A lot of our members didn't survive. Yes. Unfortunately, they they left us early. And uh, I'm always thinking to myself, wow, I, I got through to 65. And I used to pat people on the back. Well, you, you, you've done it, mate. You've got through it all. And everything that's been thrown at us, we survived. And, uh, and I think we'll survive going in the future. Yes. Uh, we've got the people to do it. Uh, so if you ask me what's the moment I um, I do remember, I can't say there's one thing I do. It's, you know, just the, the the thankfulness I've got that I've uh, I've been in this industry. And guess what? Your answer then is actually quite common across all these interviews uh, I've done. Oh, okay. The, the, the comradeship, the education, the, the 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 fact that people have gone through 
and they remember the people that didn't get through. These are quite common themes in all these discussions. So whether you, uh, you're a building worker in North Wales, Melbourne, Perth, Brisbane, wherever, the comments that you've just been making are actually quite common. A building worker is a building worker. Of course. Our old mate John Cummins used to go, once a building worker, always a building worker. And it is, it is true. I've got one funny uh, story or comment you may have been aware of here in Australia too, but it was quite common in the UK where the, the wives of building workers used to wait outside the gate on a Friday afternoon, which was payday, and the husband would come out with a wage packet, the wife would snatch it off him, and take what she needed and then give it back to the husband because a lot of building workers were heavy drinkers. They were, they were gamblers. And, uh, you know, the, at least the family weren't going to be looked yeah. after for that yeah. week. Then the other one was, I don't know if you recall it, there was the, this case where there was two wage packets. Oh, yes. There was two, people forget that, but there was two <laughs> wage packets. If you, worked for, if you worked for a boss that was, a, you know, a decent boss you worked for for years, yeah small to medium-sized firm, you might have worked there for years, and there was an understanding. You got your wage packet, but the overtime went into another packet. And uh, so when you went home, the, the packet went to the, the wife, and the other one was for you. <laughs> and uh, I don't think that would exist anymore, would it? No. No, no. definitely not. No, there's uh, <coughs> a few other ways of doing that. <laughs> <laughs> but look, the uh, other thing was... It was a rough and ready industry in many ways and unfortunately some people have problems with dealing with money and alcohol and all the other yeah. things. But uh, one of the things that I reflect on is the ability of people in the industry, and I'm going to include some bosses in this, not all bosses, not the big corporates, mm. uh, though some of them have been good over this, when people got into trouble... People, in, in, in Melbourne we call it the pull-up. We have a pull-up. It might be on a job, it might be across the whole city. But a pull-up to help people in trouble. And, okay, we've got uh, insurances through super, we've got insurances through our redundancy fund in Melbourne and so on. But when people get in trouble and they need a chop out, the pull-up is still a remarkable thing. Of course. And uh, I can think of any number of occasions where people have been killed in... Uh, I won't call them accidents because very few of them are accidents. They're not uh, totally fate-determining or luck-determining something. It's been negligent. It's been uh, a failure to organise and so on. But people have been killed... And some people have been maimed, and the pull-up makes sure that the family, the dependents, whatever, are looked after till such time as the rest of the workers' compensation or whatever is put in place. And there is, there are people who, to this day, I know, who say, "I've put in for every pull-up, but I'm glad I've never had to draw on it." It's good, yeah, and that that. That really is the basis of collectivism, and I, I just, I just think that people like yourself talking about that, and then 
like that meeting last night with these younger people, uh, starting to talk in those terms. Mm. Uh, I'm a bit old-fashioned. The capitalist system doesn't change that much, and we live in a capitalist system. The job of a union is to make uh, the efforts to uh, even up the score a little bit in terms of people getting a benefit. Can't change the world, but we'll make it a bit fairer. Well, um, I'd like to, you know, thank you for giving me this opportunity today to express some of my thoughts. I'll no doubt think uh, of other things I should have said or shouldn't have said, but that's the, I'm so happy that you've done it, you know, yep. come here, taking the trouble to come to Perth to do this. And uh, I'm so proud, really, of the looking back over the opportunity I've had over the years, what it's done to me, my family, and the union movement have given me everything I've, I've, I've had in life. And uh, I'm just going to keep on coming to the meetings and doing yep. what I can do you know, to keep going. So thank you. And thank you, Alan, because I did muck Alan up. We had a great chat and a cup of coffee before we came and did the interview and I set it all up and I forgot one thing. I forgot to put the uh, micro SD card in. <laughs> so we started talking on, uh, on a recording and I'm thinking, why are these lights wrong? Uh, and then suddenly I realised I hadn't... I'd taken the card out and uh, I hadn't put it back in for this interview. So my apologies for mucking you around, Alan, but it's been a great conversation... And, you know, the degrees of separation are very small. We've, both families came out of Wales. Both families ended up going to the Channel Islands and both families ended up in Australia. You in Perth, my family in Melbourne. The story hasn't changed in 100 years. And it's great to reflect. Alan, thank you very thank much you. indeed. You've been listening to Creatures of the Industry and... We have been in Perth and we've still got a few more interviews to do and uh, I hope you enjoy what's going to be Series 3 of Creatures of the Industry. Thank you very much indeed. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.org.au. We all of us are workers, united we must stand Until the wealthy bludgers have been driven from our land We faced deregistration, it backfired in the face We're not fooled by arbitration, we won't stay in our place We hit the bosses hard and fast to win and keep our gains and break a couple of concrete pours to back our lug of claims. So keep your powder dry and hold your head up high. It's glass to glass and face to face, our limit is the sky. We've got a fighting history and we never will be cowed. Our builders' labour is a name.